And Lord, we do thank you for the honor and the privilege it is to just take moments, Lord, to worship you, to declare who you are, to proclaim your goodness and your mercy. And Lord, we just pray, Holy Spirit, just continue to minister among us as we come to read your word. Lord, as we would be an act of worship to you as we declare that you're worthy of it all. Amen. Do grab a, a seat. Just a few little notices before we turn to God's Word. Um, just to mention this week is small groups. So if you are not already part of a small group, um, do come and see myself or see Dave and uh, we can make sure you are connected into one. Uh, so that's the meeting on Wednesday. Then the other big thing to mention is that tonight we're having a joint worship session. Dave's mentioned already in passing, but at City Church, which is in Campbell Hall, if you need details, speak to Dave or have a look on the website. The details are also on the website. So do have a look there and um, do come along. That's at 7.30 tonight. And we're just going to gather, I think, um, City, ourselves, I think some folks from Matthew Henry will be joining us as well. And hopefully somebody, some folks even from Hope Church uh, as well will be coming across to join us. So hopefully just a, it's great to gather as God's people together, just which is wider even than what we, we, uh, we can gather here. So that should be a great evening. So do try and be along at that. And then just the last thing to mention, if you would like to help out and to serve the church, we need folks who sit where Roger's sitting today and uh, to do, put the words up just to do a little bit of multimedia. It's not that difficult. We will give you a little bit of training with it. But if you would like to do that, could you come, uh, actually have a word with Chris um, or myself and we will make sure you get you onto the rotors, but also give you some help with that as well. So it's great if we've got a, just a good team of people there. So it means that actually it's not just the same people every single Sunday. So uh, let's just take a moment to... Oh, yes, sorry, Chris. There's a mic just sitting there. Might need to be switched on. Morning, folks, and good morning to those who are online. Um, in three weeks' time, our sermon title is Emmanuel, God with us, and I'm bringing that. I don't want it to be a 20, 30, 40 odd minute theological exposition. I want it to be in large part experiential. And I've asked a number of people in house group already if they've got anything they could contribute. So really I'm, what I'm asking for is short snippets, which will be anonymous, um, of any thoughts that people have on what Emmanuel, God with us, means to you and it could be from current day experience or it could be from your experiences from decades ago so if you could uh, let me have that if you've got my contact details send them to me if you don't send them to your house group leader or put them on paper and see me over the next couple of weeks thanks very much wonderful good so father we we just pray as we come to your word that you would speak to us through it we ask Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts to be open to your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. 
In 2010, we took really a trip of a lifetime to New Zealand and to Australia. And we'd planned to go there for three weeks, but our flight back home was cancelled for a further week due to the infamous ash cloud, if you're old enough to remember that one, which meant that no planes were allowed to fly. And, and we, we were staying with some friends in Sydney, so not wanting to overstay our welcome, we decided to book a hotel in the Blue Mountains just for two nights. Now, my friend very kindly lent me one of his cars. And now, this car was about 20 years old. It's the sort of car that would have been scrapped in the UK just simply due to rust. But in Australia, it had managed to survive because of the mild climate out there. And we drove into this rather nice hotel, and a man comes out to meet us, and he asked us if he could valley park our car now me and rachel looked at each other both of us thinking the same thing this car has never been valley parked in its life and i've got to be honest i felt slightly uncomfortable partly because i actually wasn't particularly sure what valley parking even meant so the next morning so so and i handed over my keys and, and he took the car away and the next morning i handed my ticket back in again and i asked to get my car and i waited and i waited I watched as a nice Aston Martin came round, followed by a rather nice-looking Porsche. But there's still no sign of my old Ford. Eventually, the man comes walking round the corner, apologising, says, I am so sorry, sir, but your car won't start. Now, I asked him if I could have a go, because the car was a bit temperamental. It was one of the old-fashioned chokes. Again, if you're old enough, you may remember those as well. However, when I turned the key, it just simply went the battery was completely dead so I asked him if he had any jump leads he did he got the car going and, and and but the thing that really struck me about this was that this man who was used driving expensive luxury cars not old bangers like the one I had turned into me turned up in spoke to me and he treated me with just as much respect and as much courtesy as if I had turned up in a Bentley and it surprised me because I just simply wasn't expecting it. And there's nothing, there's nothing more wonderful than, than receiving just a warm welcome when you, when you walk into a new situation. You see, how we treat people actually matters. And today we're going to read from Genesis chapter 18 where Abraham sets just a wonderful example of what a good welcome, of what hospitality should look like. I'm going to read verse 1, Genesis chapter 18. It says this, The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day Abram was sitting at the entrance of the tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and he noticed three men standing nearby and when he saw them he ran to meet them and welcome them bowing low to the ground. My Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said, do as you have said. So Abram ran back to the tent and saw Sarah, 
Hurry, get three large measures of your best flour kneaded into dough and bake some bread. Then Abram ran out to the herd and chose a tender calf and gave it to his servant who quickly prepared it. And when the food was ready, Abram took some milk and some yogurt and the roast meat and he served it to the men. As they ate, Abram waited on them in the shade of the trees. Where is Sarah, your wife? The visitors asked. She's inside the tent, Abram replied. Then one of them said, I will return about this time next year and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abram and Sarah were both very old by this time and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, how could a worn out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband is also so old? Then the Lord said to Abram, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, no, you did laugh. Now, there's a sense of mystery about the opening of this chapter, which, which clearly takes place not long after the previous story in which God spoke to Abraham and promised him a son. But as yet, Sarah is not pregnant with the child that she will have in Abram's 100th year. But the story actually begins with Abraham asleep. He's taken his daily rest in the heat of the day when three strangers approach. Now, it would seem that he's not actually aware of his visitors um, until actually after they have arrived, verse 2. But it was very, it's very unusual for people to be traveling during the hottest part of the day. So Abram was immediately curious about them. And although Abram's greeting and his provision of a meal was customary, uh, uh, sort of, of, of that sort of meast, Middle Eastern hospitality, there is, I think, an unusual sense of urgency in his instructions to Sarah. Perhaps Abram suspected from the very beginning that these are no ordinary visitors, but despite the fact that there seems to be nothing about their appearance that told Abram who they, who they were. But as he connects with them and as they chat with him, his suspicions are confirmed, and he was, he, he was actually entertaining royal heavenly visitors. Now, we spoke about this already back in chapter 16, if you remember in the story of Hagar, because once again, the most likely explanation of these visitors is that one of them was none other than Jesus Christ himself, accompanied this time by two angels. And as I explained, as we looked at chapter 16, many biblical scholars believe that Old Testament encounters like this, when Jesus takes on a human body before his birth, pre-incarnation, was always when someone was in special need, so Hagar is a good example, or when a special task needs to be accomplished, in this case, 
a message straight from the lips of God. So in verse 10, if Abram hasn't already, if he's not already certain that this was the Lord, he appears to be pretty sure now. However, do not overlook how extraordinary it is that the Lord should receive hospitality from his creation. In the, in the New Testament, there's an interesting verse in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2 that says, it says, continue in brotherly love. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people will entertain angels without knowing it. In Abram's case, he's actually entertaining Jesus, the Lord God Almighty. But also remember that this was a, this is a 99-year-old man, but also a very, very wealthy man. He doesn't need to be waiting on tables or serving, or, or, or serving people himself. He's got people to do that for him. He could have easily given the task to his chief steward or to one of probably more than 300 servants that he, that he had. Instead, he decides to minister to the Lord personally. He does it immediately without any hesitation. And you will notice that, that, that he didn't ignore them. He didn't refuse to get up because he was sleeping. Abraham is a man of faith. And faith does not delay when it comes to serving the Lord. So he ran to meet the visitors. Verse 2, he hurries Sarah to, to get some bread ready. Again, don't overlook the fact this is a 99-year-old man running around in the heat of the day getting everything ready. And it wasn't until everything is just as he wanted it when his guests have been served that he stands still. So let me just share some thoughts on on this passage, and particularly in relation to our service, to our ministry to the Lord. The first one is this, all of our service and our ministry must first of all be to the Lord. See, the truth is that if we fail to honor God, if we don't bless the name of the, of the Lord, we will never actually be a blessing to others either. So as you go about your daily life, you need to remember that it is Jesus that you are serving. Now, I, I work as an optician two days a week, and I've been challenged this week as I've been preparing this. See, when I'm testing someone's eyes, do I treat that person the way in which I would have treated Jesus if it was him who was sitting in that testing room chair? Do I always speak with love and with care? Do I, do I give my best every single time? Colossians 3 verse 23 to 24 says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord. Not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. I wonder, is that how we treat one another at work, at home, in our studies, in our university, our schools, in our church? Secondly, Serve the Lord generously. 
Abram gave his very best, the very best that he had. He served the Lord with, with absolute generosity. See, there are no leftovers. There's no second-class food on the menu that day. The guests received the very best that Abram had to offer, and he, he generously held nothing back from them. Now, one of the values we have at Freedom Church is generosity. And as people, we, we should be known for our generosity in everything that we do. And this involves our money. It involves our time. It also involves our, our attitude. And, and here are two reasons why this, is, why this is so important. Firstly is this. Everything that we have actually belongs to God. Now, the main reason why most people struggle with with generosity is because they do not understand this principle that everything actually belongs to God. And see, most of us live under the myth that the money in our pockets, our time, our possessions are actually all mine. But the Bible clearly tells us that the earth belongs to the Lord. At the end of, Genesis, at the end of Exodus chapter 19 and verse 5, God declares all the earth is mine. Everything from farming to industry, from, from mountains to banks, everything that we own, everything that we don't, it all belongs to God. In Psalm 50 verse 10, it says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. Haggai 2 verse 8, The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Listen, this, this is an issue of ownership. And if we realize that our house, our car, right down to the loose change in our pockets, all ultimately has been given to us by God and actually belongs to God, it will actually change the way in which we think about how we use our money and even how we use our time. For example, if, see, if you were to lend me 50, 50 pounds, and I decided that I just wanted to give you 10 pounds back, you're going to feel ripped off, aren't you? Because, well, I've got no right to hold on to that extra 40 pounds. It belongs to you. Why? Because it's an issue of ownership. But the point is this. Everything ultimately belongs to God. And if we feel that all that I own is mine rather than what God has graciously given to me, being generous is going to be super painful. And we will feel cheated by God. And, but if we realize that everything that we have actually belongs to him, that we are just stewards, just, just investors of God's resources, it will change the way in which we give because we will realize that we are simply just redistributing what is already his. The second thing why this is important is that giving and generosity is worship. And what we do with our resources says a lot about our own hearts. In Luke chapter 16, verse 13, it says, No servant can serve two masters. He's going to either hate the one or love the other. He'll be devoted to one or, or despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And, and we've got two options. We either worship money as God or we worship God with our money. And what we put first in our lives is really a heart issue. It is it's worship. 
And God has blessed us with so much. In Jesus Christ, we see the riches and we receive the blessing of a loving God. And we don't deserve God's mercy or his forgiveness, but he sent his perfect son, Jesus, to die on the cross to pay the, the ultimate price for our sin with his own life. You see, we owe him, we owe him everything. And he alone deserves our worship. And God does not want you to settle for anything less than the very best. And God alone is supremely valuable, and he is passionate for his own glory, and he desires that we are passionate for him. In God, we, we find true satisfaction. Jonathan Edwards puts it like this. He says, man's proper happiness consists in his enjoyment of God. And there's nothing in this whole universe that, that is more central to our satisfaction in God than the glory that comes through his Son, Jesus Christ. Which is why Paul writes that I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And there's only one way to, to develop real happiness and joy and that comes through a passion for God through his son Jesus Christ see in Jesus you find complete never-ending satisfaction that just gets better and better and yet the best is still to come so surely having experienced the grace and the love of Jesus in our lives our only response is to worship him with, with everything that we have. And it's from a heart that just loves Jesus that, and, and just worships him that the generosity will flow. And worship and giving are just intrinsically linked. And we serve a generous God. So therefore, as individuals and as a church, let us be marked by our generosity in in everything that we do. The third thing about service and ministry, we need to serve the Lord together. You'll notice that Abram didn't work alone. His service of the Lord involved his whole household. Sarah baked the bread. A young man prepared the meat. No doubt other servants brought Abraham the butter and the milk. And D.L. Moody used to say that... I, I would rather put 10 men to work than to do the work of 10 men. Now, sometimes we just attempt to do the complete opposite. And, and it's so important that we encourage others, that we inspire others to serve the Lord. And the, the work of the Lord is never about being a one-man band or, or trying to do everything ourselves. We must stand shoulder to shoulder to work together for the sake of God's kingdom and for the glory of God's name. That's why we think like tonight when we stand shoulder to shoulder with other churches in our city and worship together with them is, is so important. But it's also worth mentioning as well how important and how how wonderful the gift of hospitality is. It's, it's, it's one of the gifts of the Spirit that's mentioned in the New Testament, but it's also one that is actually so easily overlooked. Now, for most of us, the thought of entertaining strangers seems like just an alien thing to do, but hospitality is still a really important part of Christian ministry. It brings blessing to those around us, and of course, it gives honor and gives glory to God. 
in Romans chapter 12 and verse 13, it says, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them always be eager to practice hospitality. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 9, offer hospitality to one another, he says, without grumbling. In fact, giving hospitality is one of the requirements of leadership in local church. 1 Timothy 3 verse 2. And by loving and by serving one another, we serve Jesus Christ as Lord and we promote the spread of God's truth. But Abram was not only faithful to the Lord, but he was also a channel of blessing to his wife and eventually to his whole family. So it wasn't very long before the actual purpose of this visit soon became very clear when Abram has asked where Sarah is, verse 9. You see, even though these, visit these visitors are not actually addressing, direct, addressing Sarah directly themselves, this, these words are certainly for her ears. And the message is, well, it's just a confirmation of what's already been said in the previous chapter. By next year, Sarah will have a son. It's, of course, a bit of an understatement to say that, that Sarah had an important part to play in the working out of God's plan of salvation which, for the world, really. But the fact that the Lord had come all the way from heaven to speak to Abraham and to Sarah just stresses how important this is. However, the announcement was so incredible that it was, it was now Sarah's turn to laugh in disbelief, just as Abram had done in the previous chapter in verse 17. But when the Lord repeats what he has just said, fear compounds the problem and Sarah denies laughing. And there is a stern, if restrained, rebuke in the final words of the visitor. Whenever we don't believe the word of God, we question both God's ability, but also God's character. Does he really keep his promises? Does he really have the power to do what he will say, what he says he can do? And of course, the answer to both of those questions is, of course, yes. In Romans chapter 4, verse 20 to 22, referring to Abram, we read, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. It took Sarah a little bit longer to catch up with Abram's faith. Not surprisingly, the truth is that most of our faith is very weak when compared to the, to the ridiculous faith and the hope of Abraham. He left his home, he left his family to follow God with great expectations of a huge family, of land, of, 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 of blessing. Yet, yet the reality was that by now, so much time has passed and he and his wife are old and they are still childless. And everybody knows, don't they, that couples don't have babies when they are a hundred years old. But it was at this point that God reaffirms 
the seemingly impossible promise of Genesis chapter 15 and verse 5. He says, look up to the skies and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you're going to have. And Abraham was still prepared to put faith in a God who promised impossible things, knowing that he could accomplish them. And this is the impressive faith at the heart of God's family, actually our family. This is hope against hope. To believe God is to look at what God has said and to let that define our reality. And living by faith means, firstly, not relying on feelings or on appearance. Now, Abram wasn't a fool. He knew that when he looked at his and his wife's body, that the idea of having a son was impossible. But he didn't go on appearances. He, he didn't trust in himself. He trusted God. But what about you? The church family should be defined by faith. As a Christian, faith is our very, it's, it's our DNA. But secondly, living by faith means focusing on facts about God. You see, God is powerful. Abram knew that God had created everything, so it was logical that he had the power to create life in Sarah's womb. And, and so faith is not the absence of thinking. It is thinking hard about what is true about God and applying that to our lives. And if you don't already align yourself with, with godly truth, you need to. See, true worship begins when you and I elevate our view of God, which comes through the power and through the filling of the Holy Spirit. And listen, the higher our view of him, the more we will humbly bow before him in worship. And no matter how great your fear and your reverence and your awe of God is, listen, he is still so much greater. He is infinite. He has no boundaries. He has no limitations. In Second Chronicles chapter 2 and verse 6, we're reminded that the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him. And he's not limited by time or by space, and he's not dependent on anyone or on anything, which is why in Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 6, God declares, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. And he is unchanging. I, the Lord, do not change, he says in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6. And he cannot change for the better because he is already perfect. And because he is perfect, he cannot change for the worse. Arthur Pink writes, his power can never diminish nor his glory ever fade. And God is forever the same. His purposes are fixed. He is stable and his words are sure. He is omnipresent. In Jeremiah 23 and 24, God challenges the nation of Israel. And I ask the question, who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth? And not only is his power and his authority fills all of heaven and all of earth, his very essence, his very being fills every place. So there is no place without him. He is everywhere. But yet when he says he is present, 
absent in one place, it doesn't mean that he is absent from another. And just as no place exists without God, no place can contain him. And I hope you begin to get a glimpse of who God is. I hope you realize that no words will ever do him justice or fully describe him. And when we reflect on his infinite majesty, on his power, on his authority, on his omniscience, on his holiness, when we seek to understand the glorious and powerful nature of God, the more you will humble yourself in his presence, the more you will bow in awe and fear of him, and the more you will be overwhelmed just by the realization of God's glorious splendor, the more you will worship and the more you will adore him. Because that is the very reason for which we were created. And he is worthy of all of your trust now and forever. So as you focus on the facts about God, as you look on him in his glorious splendor, listen, your faith will be strengthened. And then finally, living by faith means trusting in the word of God. In Romans 4.21, God has power to do what he has promised, it says. Believing in God is to trust and is to live by what he has promised and to take him at his word, even when feelings, even with popular opinion, perhaps even when common sense seems to contradict his promises. God does not fit into our nice tiny little frameworks or into our own little agendas or into our time scales, but he can be trusted. And it's this type of faith, Abram faith, that God credits as righteousness. Have you ever wondered why God delayed in giving Abram and Sarah a son? Well, one reason was so that all natural strength was gone. Having a child was a reproductive impossibility. But Abram did not walk by sight. He walked by faith. In fact, Paul even describes this rejuvenation of Abram's childless body as a picture of resurrection from the dead, pointing to the greatest power of all Christ's resurrection power. Through Jesus, the impossible becomes possible. Is this not true for every Christian? Listen, God waited until you realize that you were dead, you were unable to help yourself because of sin before, before he released his saving power. And if you think that you're strong enough to please God, you cannot be saved by grace. It's only when you confess your sins and you are spiritually that, that you are spiritually dead and unable to help yourself that God's power can save you. Remember Romans 1 verse 16, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And the resurrection of Jesus is proof that sinners can be justified. And the key, of course, if you believe. It's only for those who believe in Christ. You're justified by faith. And the object of that faith is Jesus Christ who died for you, who rose again incredibly. Abram lived by faith without having anybody to ask. 
without having any Bible or any book to read or any sermon to listen to. All he had was a promise from God. Yet he believed in God. But a promise from God is enough. So is anything too hard for the Lord? Verse 14. The answer is clearly no. If God makes a promise, you can be sure that he will be able to fulfill it. And he will always remain faithful. Actually, even when we are unfaithful. So how do we respond to that? In the face of a, diff in face of a difficult situation, when life is challenging, and there, there are plenty of those things around at the moment, aren't they? What do we do? We, we trust in Him. If your faith feels weak this morning, what are you going to do? You're going to ask, ask Him for help. And as you meet people this week, let's love them well for the sake of the Lord. Let's serve them well. Let's, let's, be, let's be those that are known for our generosity, for our hospitality, and how we love and how we care for one another. We're going to pray. I'm going to, si I'm going to sing just as, as I bang that. <laughs> that signifies the end of the sermon. <laughs> why, not, why not stand? If you're able to, why not stand together? I wonder what God has been saying to you, perhaps challenging you. As our faith grows, our love grows, and as our love grows, our faith grows. So I just want to pray. I pray, Father. Come, Holy Spirit, come in and just minister to us in these moments. Lord, Father, I just pray, Lord, what anything that I've shared, Lord God, if it's from you, Lord, may it, may it hit home, Lord, may it bring, bring hope and be challenged at times. Father, if anything I've said, Lord, is not from you, Lord, may it just drop to the ground and be forgotten about so that, Lord, that you get the glory. And, Father, I just pray over my brothers and sisters here, Lord, Father, for those that are just struggling at the moment. Father, be their strength and be their help. Lord, help each one of us to lift our gaze, Lord, in those difficult moments to your glory and to your majesty. Lord, that our hearts may be changed that they may be warmed in your presence, Lord Jesus. So, Father, we ask, Lord, for your strength, for your enabling for this week. Father, as we go out into our workplaces, as we go out, Lord, to meet folks that perhaps know nothing about you, Lord God, may we, may we carry your presence. May we be generous and loving, and may we build and encourage one another for the sake of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.